Hello, this is James Pan, and welcome to Data Talks. On Data Talks, I interview all sorts of people who work in a variety of disciplines to determine what kinds of data they use in their lives and work and how they make sense of it if they ever do. I'm interested in everything about how people make decisions and what we can learn about that process. I work as a psychologist and a professor who teaches research methods and evaluation, and I also work directly with health, human services, and educational organizations who want to evaluate their programs in some way. That is, determine if their programs are effective, what contributes to that effectiveness, and how to make their programs better. So welcome to our first episode. I talk with Joe Hodis, who is Chief Marketing Officer at Dixie Brands in Denver, Colorado. Joe has over 20 years of experience in marketing and public relations. Uh, Joe previously served as partner and executive vice president at Channel Management at Vladimir Jones, one of the uh, the oldest uh, and largest independently held advertising agencies in Colorado. He worked uh, as VP Communications for Consumer Capital Partners, where he oversaw communications for emerging brands like Smashburger as well as established names like Quiznos. Joe honed his PR chops as Senior Director of Corporate Communications for Frontier Airlines. As CMO at Dixie Elixirs, in addition to fielding pot jokes and requests for volunteer tasters, he heads up a team that is helping to define adult-use marketing of marijuana. Okay, so here is a recording of our discussion. Looking forward to hearing any feedback that you have. Thanks. I'm Chief Marketing Officer of Dixie Elixirs and Edibles, or Dixie Brands, rather, uh, and we are a marijuana-infused products company. A marijuana-infused products company? Mm-hmm. So what does that mean exactly? Like, what kind of stuff do you all, you know, like what is your, what is your example, like, what your product is? We like, have, what does that mean? We have 20 to 30 different products across about 100 different SKUs. And those are different items from topicals to tinctures to edibles to drinks. Okay. And so how, how did you end up in this kind of a, in, in this job? So you're, you're chief marketing officer. Right. So like, how, how did you get into, you know, in sort marketing? of. Marketing? Yeah. Or like into, I, the, into the marijuana industry. Well, into this job. Like what, what, what led to this? What did you do before this? So for the past five years prior to this, I started this job in January. Of 2014. So prior to this job, for the last five years, I was a partner with a, a small to medium-sized ad agency here in Denver. And uh, about four to five years ago, shortly after I started there, yeah. a young woman who worked for me came, came came to me and said, I had lunch with a friend of mine. He's getting into the marijuana soda business, and uh, they need some help with some branding and some research. And would the, would the agency be interested? And I said, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. I would definitely be interested in branding a marijuana soda. So met the CEO of the company. We did the logo that Dixie now has, actually, uh, five years later. And uh, we just kind of kept in touch and uh, went to lunch every quarter. We talked about marketing and PR things, the growth of his company. And when recreational or adult-use marijuana legalization occurred back in January of this year, we felt it was time to, to 
perhaps bring someone on board who has a much more traditional marketing PR background. So your your background, right? Yeah. So your background before this, you know, you did you worked in PR and marketing, or was it mostly uh, mostly? The majority was PR. The last five years, uh, PR and marketing and advertising. Right. And so, I mean, the obvious question that that you know people will probably have about sort of this like transition for you, so you were entering like a new like industry, industry essentially, right? Um, was that a sort of like a risky thing for you in a well, sense? Like, was it something that was? Yeah, I like to say we are a startup company in a startup industry. Right. And you know, it's, it's very true. And so. There are complications that come with that. I mean, there's complications anytime you go to work for a startup, but particularly one that's federally federally illegal, uh-huh. and right, uh, yeah. we're the first state in the, in the world to right. actually do this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's complicated, um, a lot of risk, but it's the, it's the it's the basic risk reward scenario. This discussion's around around data input, right? That's a data input risk reward. Right? right. Here's what I perceive the risk to be. Here's what I perceive the uh, the equal reward to be for that risk. Right. So, yeah. So how did you make that decision? Like, so you're saying like there's a, like a risk reward, like balance and you kind of weighed the two and you made your, your call, your call off, uh, off of that. First things so. first, I had to be personally aligned with it and comfortable with it, which I was. So I believed in legalization, um, did not see the harm in marijuana. And so, you know, that's, that's decision one. Do I find it morally reprehensible? No. Okay. Well, moving, moving ahead. What do I see as the opportunity? I'd evaluate the company itself. Is this the right company? If I'm going to get into this industry, do they have what it takes to be successful? What does that business plan look like? Um, but, the, but the area where I honestly spent the most time was deciding whether going into something as still taboo at the time and, and still right. is right, sure. marijuana, right. would that damage me personally? Would that damage my career? You know, What did the people who I respect and call mentors. What do they think about it? They do a lot of surveying. So I, I talked to people extensively over a six-month period, and and just got a lot of input. That's and that, by the way, is a big part of my decision-making process. Always, I'm very much an input gatherer. I make my own decisions. I don't generally tend to be swayed by one person or another. Uh-huh. But I like to gather a lot of input and then make so my. So you so you're like you spoke with people that you respected, and you yeah, kind of listened to what I'll, they. What they, of, what they had to say, and you made... How did you make sense of all of that sort of... You know, you're saying like all this like input. Like, how did you sort of find, you know, find direction on that or get clarity on that? Like, there was, there that? was a singular commonality, which is that every single person to a, to a fault said, you'd be crazy if you didn't do this. They did, really. Yeah. And what, I didn't what, have one dissension. Uh-huh. I didn't have one person who said, well, you know, you might want to hold off. Uh-huh. Not one. How did you reconcile that with how you felt at the time? Because uh, there was part of you, was I mean, was there part of you that was like, you know, that, that sort of was apprehensive about it? Or did you, well, you know, feel much like like all these people that, you know, you spoke with? You know, I yeah, there was definitely a part of me that was apprehensive because it's, a, again, a, a, a startup industry and a startup company. So that alone is a reason enough to make you feel like, all right, this is a little bit scary and a little bit weird. Yeah. But on top of that, I mean, everyone can say on paper, yeah, this is a great opportunity. You'd be crazy if you didn't do it. But to actually, to actually be the one to yeah. take the plunge and actually make that decision, 
that still requires that gut check that I had to give myself. And a lot of, right. honestly, a lot of pillow talk with, with me and the wife at night. Like, uh-huh. should I do this? Is it the right thing? Right. You know, you're, okay, what's the downside? If, if, if it fails in a year, okay, is the experience I gained worth it? Is it, you know, not? You know, that kind of stuff. The rest of it is, you know, I took... Uh, you know, I took a salary cut. I, I am uh, working in an industry where there is no benchmark. So how do I gauge success? Uh, you know, uh, would we alienate friends and family? You know, all those things uh-huh. as factors played into it. And in the end, you you sort of pulled it all together and felt that the the advantage or the upside was just was was much more was more the, substantial than you know the. There was all that. There was all the evaluation and weighing the risks and doing all that. But at the end of the day, I kept thinking to myself, if I keep doing what I'm doing and I don't take this opportunity, I don't believe something like this is ever going to come across my path again in my lifetime. And if it does, it'll be at a point when I won't be able to take advantage of it. And I don't want to wake up the day after and go, God, I wish I had done that, you know? And so uh, that was the biggest factor that pushed me over. Right. Just the idea that I had the opportunity, uh-huh. and I would regret if I didn't take it. Right. So, how long has it been now since you've been at the, the company? I uh, started in January, so eight months. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, ten months. Give us an idea, of, like the kinds of things that you have to do on a daily basis. Like, what is your, what are the decisions you're making, and then what kind of like, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, information do you have to sort of make sense of in order to, to, you know, decide on things in order to plan things out uh planning things out is is a is a stretch that's very challenging in our industry because honestly we don't know sometimes from day to day what will change and what will, what will happen uh because we have a number of different masters we have consumers right we have retailers we have the marijuana enforcement division here in colorado and the federal government you know banking is still an issue there's all there's all these challenges that we face on a daily basis that really preclude me from being able to say, here's my, you know, one-year marketing plan, because I guarantee you in three months from now, it won't be the same. Uh-huh. And so that is, it's challenging to, to say you're making decisions based on a tremendous amount of data and input, because there's not. Right. When people ask, when people say that are outside of my industry, they say, well, you know, surely you have market data on that. I, I kind of, I chuckle because there's not market data. Right. Th- there is no market data. It doesn't exist. The market has not existed yet. Give it great data and no. Right. So, so the, the decisions I make are often fraught with risk because I may make a decision on behalf of the company that I think is the best thing and the right thing at the time, but it's my it's subject to my interpretation and translation of of, of it's a very subjective perspective of what's going on. Sure. Because, so, so give us an uh, example. I'll give you a positive one and a negative one. So okay. the positive one is we had been toying and wanting to create, toying with the idea of creating a low-dose product. And that was based on my own personal experience, my conversations with friends, you know, my own kind of little market research. And there were a couple of us, my director of marketing, a few others that felt like, boy, that's the right thing to do. Every single dispensary we went to, all the what are called bud tenders, they're the people that work in dispensaries, the bud tenders were like, five milligrams, no no one's going to want that. Uh People want the strongest doses they can get. You know, we're not going to go to buy it because no one's going to want it. Right. 
But that was their point thought, of view. But that you were, was their point of view. But you were talking to a certain. You were just talking to. You called them what? Butt tenders. Butt tenders. Oh, bud tenders. Bud. I thought you said like butt tenders, like 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 a butt, like a cigarette butt or no, something. BD, or like yeah, or, or yeah, I got you. That, no, but it's not. Yeah, it's I don't butt. have to go off on that a little yeah, bit more. That's right. Okay, good. Uh, so bud you tenders. Have to edit that, right? that makes sense. No, no, that's going to stay in there. <laughs> this is not everything staying in. Okay. All right, everything. Uh, so you got you got data from one like one sort of. I but mean, there are, there are other sources, too. But they're an important well, one. Walk because, us through. Walk us through. Because they're yeah. my customer, right? The bud tender. Yeah. The dispensary owner, that's my customer. The bud tender told me, I don't think we're going to buy it, and therefore, I don't think it's a good product for us. Well, I kind of have to believe them. Well, what we saw happen shortly after we launched it is the state began to mandate that we have low-dose products. We also found the low-dose product sold really well in tourist um, uh, dispensary, uh-huh. ones that are pri- primarily visited by tourists, and that we were getting great feedback from sort of novice users or people like my age that are older and, you know, they don't want to get right. really super stoned and they want to sell light high. How old are you? I am 44. So, yeah, so we, we had that data point, but we also had the state that made some changes and we had consumers giving us good feedback. And I think generally speaking, we've held it to be a pretty res- uh, a pretty good launch, right? So that, that was my positive. Right. Made a decision. You know, hoped it was the right one, and it turns out it was. On the flip side, a lot of our packaging and a lot of our products that we've developed um, are all going to have to change because the Marijuana Enforcement Division changed the rules and regs around packaging and, and products. So all the money we put into point of sale display and packaging right. and all this stuff, it's all going to be... Is it kind of like the tobacco like sort of thing like they want... Like, what are they going for when they're regulating, you know, things like packaging or whatever? Is it, what are they trying to control for? What are they um, trying to, is it sort of appeal to it's, kids? It's, or it's, to it's education. I mean, that, the, the kids part, not marketing to children, first of all, it's something the industry embraces entirely, us for sure. But, you know, anyone who thinks that we're out there marketing to kids is just ridiculous. Two, um, so, so they did that, they did that a while ago. They've changed the, uh, the the regulations around the child resistance of the packaging, so they've upped the ante for that. So anything that has more than a single dose in it has to be resealable to child-proof state. So uh, that was a change. Uh, the idea of a single serving was a change. Previously, they said no package could have more than 100 milligrams per package. Uh-huh. So we made, for example, a Colorado bar, which is a, a one-inch-by-one-inch piece of fudge. That had 100 milligrams in it, right? So super powerful, right. but single-dose product because some consumers wanted that. Uh-huh. Now the state's saying you can have no more than 10 milligrams on a per-piece basis unless it's clearly demarked and separable, such as if you took a candy right. bar, a Hershey's bar, and you make it easy to snap off a 10-milligram piece. Okay. So no single piece can have more than 10 milligrams. So our, our Colorado bar goes away. We can't have that on the recreational side. Right, and that impacts your sort of manufacturing and your I mean, are, manufacturing, everything. process, ingredients, um, uh-huh. budgets. You know, it's, it's uh, several hundred thousand dollar change for us. Right. So, I mean, you were talking about, like, a decision-making process that you, you kind of went through and that was sort of end up positively. I mean, this... You know, what you're talking about now is sort of like... It's mandated. It, it, it was mandated. So, I mean, what could you have, you know, looking back on it or, or sort of like, what were the decisions that you had, you know, to make sort of before the fact uh, that maybe could have anticipated this? Were there any that anyone could have made? Or it's just sort of like it happened and this is just part of the, part well, of the, the business? That, you there's know. a couple of layers of that, right? Because even when they make some of these changes, they put them into 
rules and regs that are oftentimes very subject to interpretation. So, you know, we uh, we made a decision that, and th- these all seem very minor. I realize as somebody who doesn't who isn't in manufacturing or is not in our industry, but yeah, they're impactful to us. Yeah, explain. So we decided to change uh, the verbiage because uh, on the back of the inside of our packages because. There's multiple places at which we have all the warnings and all the information, and there's no way we're going to fit it on the smallest part of the inside of our package, even though technically that's kind of what the rules and regs were saying. Right. So we made a decision to only have certain information, and then we went to the state and said, okay, this is what we're doing. Is this this right for you guys? And right. We never get we never get a solid, like, yes or no, a pass-fail, or here's our stamp of approval. We have to take what they're saying, which is, yes, I think that works, or yes, that meets the spirit of what we're trying to do, uh-huh. and we have to, you know, if you have a lawyer in the room, the lawyer is going to say, "Well, if there's any percent of a risk that you can't, you know, that won't pass, I think we should do the most conservative thing." But we have to make decisions and say, "It's just not practicable for us, so we're going to have to do it this way, and hope that it's the, the right thing to do." And then ultimately, the state might come back and, and say, "You need to change this." It could, or a dispensary owner who translates it differently could say. Hey, we think the rule says this, and your package therefore is not compliant. Uh-huh. So, explain to people like what the dispensaries are, and like how that you know how you all relate to them. Like, what what is the relationship with sure. you? Like, how does that sort of so uh, marijuana, yeah. whether whether for medical purposes or adult use, which is what we call recreational, because we like to say we don't judge whether people are using for recreational purposes, medication, or uh, just to achieve a, a certain level of wellness on their day to day lives. So, we call it adult use. Uh, uh, dispensaries serve adult use in medical patients. Medical patients don't have to pay taxes, but they do have to register for a red card that identifies them as a medical patient. So dispensaries can have both a medical side and a rec side, but they have to be set up differently with a kind of a wall in between a waiting so area. So why, why would they distinguish? Like, why would there be the need to distinguish since, uh, you know, since it's legal? Like, there, why? Is it for insurance reimbursement purposes? or for There are a what? couple of reasons. Um... Um, there's a couple of reasons. One is that um, the, the the rules on on the the dosage amounts on the medical side you can get much higher doses because that's okay. really where our whole industry came from. Was that if you're dealing with chemotherapy or extreme pain or a you know, true medical uh, issue, you may want a higher dose product with a smaller footprint because you don't want to have to eat ten pieces of chocolate. You want to eat one piece of chocolate, right? So right. that's where the high dose products came from. So you can still get those on the medical side. Two, they don't pay taxes, which, given the taxes on the recreational side, which are significant, you save you know, upwards of 30 and 40% on the purchase price, so it's, it's, right. it's more cost-effective. Okay, so, so that's what still the need to sort of have this. For now. And you, you think it's going to, uh, that, that'll change ultimately? Uh... August was the first month where we saw the crossover. There were more recreational sales than there were medical sales. Uh-huh. So... Interestingly, the number of people holding a red card has not declined since recreational. Because my thought initially was, all right, they're going to not—they're probably not going to renew their card. They're just going to go buy it in a recreational store. But we didn't see a decline in the number of, of licenses. However, right. initially, at the beginning of the year, <coughs> partly because there weren't as many recreational stores online yet, the total volume of rec sales versus medical sales was less. But again, in August, that crossed over. There's now more rec sales. Now it's more, okay. For me, it's important to know, and for us, I think it's important to know, like, okay, so what are those the data sources that you're, you know, looking at, that you're, that you're using? So you said, like, one of the things you just mentioned was, you know, like, the, the 
what did you call it again? Like red card? Uh, red card for medical. Red card. So there's like a registration. Look, looking at like number of individuals that have that, uh, have a red card or new enrollees yeah. or I guess, you know, looking at those figures, you look at obviously at sales. Uh, so, right. you know, you know, dollars. What other things you look at? What other metrics are you are you looking at on a regular basis? Are you monitoring? And how, how do you, you know, so, you get that? Uh, I mean, we, when we talk about true data and metrics, I look at our social media metrics. So engagement, reach, frequency, uh-huh. new likes, new followers, all of the all the social metrics that we follow. Okay, so the typical uh, like social media things, like yeah. who are you reaching? Are you, are people retweeting? Are they what commenting? What are they responding they, to? What kind of they, content? Okay, and that's been helpful. Um, you use like all channels, basically. Are you all working? Okay, pretty much. Although there's there's also new uh, social channels in that are marijuana specific. So there's uh, there's sites like Leafly. There's uh, a site called uh, huh. Mass Roots. There's a site called Weed Maps, all of which have some element of social media where people may comment or talk about a product or uh, post photos, that kind of thing. So we're not quite as heavily into the metrics on those on those sites yet. But, okay, right. Um, so there's that. We look at our website. How much traffic are we driving to the site? What content is driving it? What um, you know? What uh, is the balance rate? You know, all of the. Google Analytics metrics that we look at are, are pretty helpful to determine what content are people engaging with the most in our site and why. Uh-huh. Um, and then we look at sales data. So we do sales forecasts. We do uh, sales data around products sold. Um, we do uh, an a-, a review of AR, account, accounts receivable to understand you know what's outstanding, still out there, uh-huh. back orders. Uh, we look at data. Uh, in terms of oil production, oil, uh, we take raw plant material and we extract oil from it. That becomes oil that we infuse into our products. Right. So we need to understand how much, you know, what is our forecast from a sales perspective, which requires X amount of raw plant material to produce X amount of oil to produce X amount of products. So you use that for, for forecasting for production, like how much you're going to need production. in the Yeah, that's less about future. marketing. Uh-huh. Um, some of the sales data is. So we looked at, I'll give you a good example. We looked at our historic data across all of our uh, sodas, our elixirs, and we had three different strengths. We had a 75, the 40, and then the 5 milligram, the low-dose one I was talking about earlier. Right. But when we began to have the low-dose one, you have a 75 at the high end, a 5 at the low end, the 40 became kind of superfluous. Like, if I'm going to spend money or buy a, a strong product, I'll yeah. buy the 75, not the 40, right? Right. So we began to see the effect of that because the, the 75 and the 5 were selling well, the 40 was bottoming out, so... Let's get rid of the forty because it doesn't make sense anymore. So you were seeing that in terms of sales. So you were you when you look at your sales, you segment it by product, and you get you 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 get that data on a regular basis. It's something that yeah. somebody compiles Finally, for you. Only or, recently. Only recently. Yeah. How, how do you get it? Does someone you have someone at, at your office that's putting that together for you, or you just have a yeah. an MIA, some kind of man? How, how mean, does that work? Very simplistic. Yeah. Peace tree and pivot tables and Excel. Okay, just very straightforward things. Okay. In, I mean, in the social sciences and in evaluation, a lot of times we you know, implement some kind of program, some kind of change, and look to see if it has impact on how participants are doing, you know, like their, you know, whatever outcomes, right? And look to see, like, if they're like a causative cause effect between this change, like the thing that you're doing. And the desired outcome, right? Right. So, with you, like, have you have have you tried to look at specific 
marketing changes that uh, initiatives or uh, things that you focused on or that kind of thing to see if you could impact whatever outcome, whether it's yeah. sales, uh, engagement, That's or you know, tell, tell ultimate, me more about the that. The ultimate goal is to impact sales, right? Because yeah. if, if we're marketing just for the heck of marketing, or right. because we want more fans on Facebook, that's all good and well, but we're not driving additional sales and we're not doing our job. So, um, so yeah, we look at we look at sales um, as it relates to, for example, being in market with specific creative. Uh, we were we were pushing the the low dose product really heavily right. in paid, owned, and earned media the beginning of the summer, mostly throughout the summer, and we saw the impact both in sales taking off and also in our sales reps saying. Hey, I've got you know, all of my customers are asking us about this. Can we get more? Do, you know, can we begin to spread that that um, that sales channel out a little bit further than just right. we launched it initially with just a handful of partners, just to get some market data. Did did it work or not? Based on what I said earlier about the bud tender saying it's never going to sell, so we wanted to just launch it pretty small initially, a soft launch so to speak. Right. And uh, and then from there, people were like, oh, I keep hearing about it. I want I want to buy it. So, yeah, so that was impactful, right? We can measure sales and, and see the impact. I mean, are you seeing, so when you look at that, like let's say, you know, you make a change like that, where you, you develop a new product, you, know, you release it, whatever. I mean, are you seeing like changes, like you see social media changes happen like first and then the, the sales happen? Like do you see sort of like a, you no. know, like a, like a chain, you know, things that happen maybe first and then sort of second and third, or is it like, you know, can you, can you kind of go into that a little bit? Beyond, beyond the simple cause and effect of marketing, right, which is I'm in market with, with creative around a specific product. I then see the sales data telling me that product is selling. I can then see, you know, to the point about the 40 milligram soda, maybe downstream I can say, oh, I see now a decline in 40 milligrams. Let's make a change there. Right. Beyond that, and kind of tying social media into this, it's not a bellwether. It's not a precursor. It's not a, a it doesn't lag. It, it just, uh-huh. you know, we maybe if we were super sophisticated and had a huge volume of social media out there, if we were Coca-Cola and I could track, you know, that we just launched, uh, you know, a new product and what is the social chatter around it and, you know, when I'm in market with new creative, am I seeing an increase in social chatter? You can begin to divine data from that that's helpful uh, as to whether or not you're being successful or which keywords maybe are successful around a given product. We don't have that audience yet, and, and, and frankly, what we've noticed is that in the marijuana space, the digital and social user tends to actually behave a little differently than the more mainstream product user. How's that? Well, I, I've got some great examples of that. We launched, shortly after I started, we launched a couple of different contests, one of which was um, we would always used to joke about the fact that you tell somebody you work for Dixie, they'd say, oh, I want to be a product test, or do you need product testers? Yeah, right, sure. And so we decided to do a social media contest around that. You want to be a Dixie product test, uh, tester. Right. And we thought, oh, God, you know, everyone's going to want to do that. Like, if you're a beer company, right. you know, if you're Sam Adams and you put out a big right. contest, you want to come to uh, wherever they're Boston yeah, sure. and be a product tester, you do it, right? Right. Just the number of people that have just yeah. sort of joked around with you. Is, is uh, enough yeah, to, like, absolutely. Fill that, fill and ranks, and yeah. people would probably want to be a product tester, right? You would right. think. So we put it out there and we said, submit a 60 yeah. second video and tell us why you should be a product tester. In the first week we got, and we have a decent social base. We have, I'd say 10,000 uh, fans on Facebook, 25,000 Twitter followers, uh. Instagram, LinkedIn. So, decent base, right? First week we got 
Zero submissions. Really? Wow. Zero. Huge surprise. Huge, right? And so any other mainstream platform, that'd be hundreds of submissions, right? Right. So we kind of thought about it. We said, okay, here's what we're seeing. The the true uh, marijuana aficionado may not be as motivated to sit down, make a 60-second video, post it, do all that, right? Uh-huh, right. The more casual user may not be apt to want to put a video out there about how much they like to get high right. and, you know, post this whole con- all this content. It's like a privacy sort of thing. Like yeah, you're, yeah, there's a little like bit of a privacy yeah. thing. And so we changed it to a written submission. We thought maybe that would be helpful. Okay. It, it was. We ended up with, like, 60 submissions uh-huh. and uh, about three or 400 votes for those submissions. So it helped. But still, that was much lower than I would have expected. Right. So, good so, so people are engaged with you all, like, through social media. Like, they're, they're interested in the product. They're... They're interested yeah. in like having conversation with a company, having input, but when it comes to like sort of, there's still the, like sure, yeah. there's still probably some like, is it that there's still some stigma like around, uh, you know, marijuana and well, sort of there, there is, that what you're saying, or is it? But that's one of the one, I don't know if it's the right word, ironies, but one of the ironies of our digital space is that yeah, there are still stigmas, but but the person who's engaging with a marijuana company in social media. Uh-huh probably is trying to topple those stigmas or doesn't care about those stigmas. Right. However, the market potential in my eyes exists with those who aren't engaging with me currently in social media or right. aren't sure. going to the dispensary to buy my product. Sure, sure, sure. So how do I reach those people and with what message? Yeah. I'm looking, I was going to show you an example real quick. If I yeah, yeah, show me the example. So, so generally what we find people engaging with us the most about is our products, behind the scenes of the company, or news around legalization or, or something like that where they don't engage with us is um, uh, you know posts about um, oh, uh, a new uh, dispensary opening or things right. like that so how do you sort of get to know your customer like how do you how important is that how you know relevant is that and and how do you get to understand them to know them how do you figure that out so couple of ways um, so back to the social media element we can glean some information about them and their activities and who they are through that but it's a very anecdotal unsophisticated way we're not pulling like specific demographic data uh, we have done we have done some demographic polls uh, from surveys on the website people who are who's engaging with us on our website age gender um, a couple of other data points but in terms of really and truly understanding who that customer is, it's a matter of sitting in the store and watching. Uh-huh. You know, sitting in different stores in different areas because different stores, not too to so much of a liquor store, you know, depending upon what area of town you're in, it's going to serve a different clientele and it's going to be a different type of store. So being in different different stores and seeing customers and uh, just understanding who they are and what they're about. I, think I mean, do you all talk with your customers in that kind of way, um, aside from like on social media? Like, do you go? Hang well, out? keep in mind that speak? I mean, keep in mind that our customer, truly our customer, yeah. is a dispensary owner and the, and the dispensary manager. I see. All right. The end user it's consumer, the end. right? They have to want our product, but really, right. in many ways, we're saying to the dispensary, you know, do you guys? What do you think your customer wants? You're dictating what they okay. want. Okay, so. It's sort of their job to, to know what their customers want. And, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, you all have you, you have input and you sure. have your own and that's why we develop yeah. products. We develop products based on what we think that end user consumer is going to want, right? So um, so there's observation. There's talking to them in stores. Um, we are 
on the verge of doing some some limited uh, what I would call sort of uh, research or data analytics. Um, probably would be online focus groups, not actual focus groups, but right. just to understand, you know, what are they looking for a discrete product? Do they care whether it's uh, uh, gluten free or right. you know things well, like that? What so. do you think about the whole thing of you know some people have said like as back you know, far back as like Henry Ford that you know people don't necessarily know what they want because in technology or some things things are you know, visionary they don't necessarily exist yet or you know people like don't a, know how the they could use them right? Theory, yeah. What's that? Like the Apple theory, the iPod theory. Yeah, you know, same kind of thing, right? So, what would you say uh, in terms of that aspect like are, are there do you all consider what might be what what people might you know, what might be like a benefit uh, to people what they might like what, what they might you know find to be desirable uh, but maybe they don't know it and maybe you guys can sort of like uh, develop the products to figure that out to, to, to show them so how, how does that there's, work there's how, do you, how does your whole product development part work how does that whole thing kind of there's absolutely opportunity because we're building things that don't exist, right? And so, yeah, I mean, back to taking risk, I mean, we're going to launch products that are not going to do well because we just don't know yet. Uh-huh. People don't know what they don't know. I can't look at it and say, if I had this type of product, you know, would you be interested? Because they might have a frame of reference to make that decision, right? So you're okay with, with launching products that you don't necessarily, like, you haven't, like, tested, because, tested the hell out of? You, you need, because, because we are on a smaller scale still, right? Uh-huh. That's why I said, like, the Dixie One, the low-dose product, we launched that with three stores initially. We did a run of 2,000. And it was honestly cheaper to do it that way than it would have been to field market research because, you know, if it doesn't if it, sell yeah. and if it's shit, you know, I've made 2,000 bottles of it. That cost me... Six thousand bucks. Yeah, right. Right. Versus a market research study that can cost me ten or twenty thousand. Right. So we're still at that scale where we can do it that way. So you can learn by actually you're, you're learning by doing rather by than doing a market. formal study, huh? Right. By putting it in market, yes. Right. Uh, but it would be great, you know, if at a point in the future we're sophisticated enough to to field some market research and understand before we put uh, something in the process what people want. Now, you asked me about the product development side of our business yeah. and there's two things that, there's well there's three things at play one we focus on what we call delivery systems and innovation around delivery systems so you absorb THC differently when you use it uh, through your oral mucosa and it dissolves through your cheek and gets in your bloodstream and goes directly to your brain uh, a liquid uh, is digested differently than a chocolate so those are different uptake and delivery systems. Topical is different delivery system. Right. So that's kind of what we focus on is innovation there. Uh-huh. So we think first, what is a delivery system that would be an effective and new and, and novel delivery system? Right. As your body then, can absorb it. Okay. Then what is the flavor profile? Right. So people generally want to have good tasting stuff, right? And and part of the marijuana edible company's job is to to mask or or complement in some way the, the weed flavor of the product. So, you know, what's going to be a good flavor profile that people get excited about? And then thirdly, what is the, the format of it? So is it a candy? Is it a drink? Is it a mint? Is it a chocolate? Is it a baked good? What is that right. format so that, that's going to be appealing to the consumer? Right. So those, you combine those variables together and you have sort of an infinite number right. of, of possibilities. In this last round, of, as we had to redevelop all these products for the new rules and regs, uh-huh. uh, basically we, we kind of just said, okay, 
here are the different flavor profiles, here are the different delivery mechanisms, and here are the different, um, we have one more category. And we basically tried to throw up ideas in each of those categories, and we said, let's pick, you know, one, or let's pick three that have the similarity across all those different uh, potentials and develop against those, those products. How, how did you go Not about super scientific. Yeah, how did you go about figuring that out? It was just sort of like you decided that you wanted to have that that characteristic across all. Yeah. Right. So we wanted something sweet and salty, and um, we felt like it should be um, a uh, uh, an edible delivery system, digestible, right? Okay. So we looked at candy bars with a, like a caramel sea salt or a nut. You know, based um, or hemp seed because we decided that hemp would add nice texture to it. So okay. um, that's you know, we, and we've had a bunch of those ideas. We created some non-medicated uh-huh. and tested them right. amongst ourselves and said, "Yeah, this tastes awesome. Uh-huh. Let's do this one." So and they, so you test them, it looks like decent, and then you go ahead and, and look at, to see what the sales are like, essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, we test them uh, just for the flavor profile, the look, right. and the feel of it. But then we've actually got to figure out how we're going to produce it on a mass scale, how we're going to package yeah, it. Yeah, I made a big jump there, didn't I? Usually time yeah, there. That's yeah. an important part of it. Because, frankly, yeah. we may come across a product that we really like, but yeah. the equipment to mass produce it and package it is going right. to be far too expensive, so we can't do it, right? Right. So all those factors go into it. Then we have to start testing and, and understand how does THC suspend in whatever the product is that we're making. Because uh-huh. it's not just a matter of just putting it in there and, you know, it's done. I mean... There's a science to emulsifying that THC to make sure it stays suspended and homogenous in a product. Yeah. And so all of that goes into it. And then we make a small batch and begin to test it in market and see what sales are like. Okay. Now, what, I'm sorry, one more thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get me going. I can't stop. One thing that we did know, we had mints for a while. Right. And we ended up breaking up the relationship with, with the guy that, we, that was producing the mints for us. And, and so we began to develop our own mints because we knew they were popular. So we're already, you know, we've got a mint. We just got the mint press in the other day. We've got the packaging. We're moving forward launching that quickly. And we're going to launch it in a big way. We're going to put 8,000, you know, in the market in the first month because we know that people want those and they're going to sell well. And we're kind of pre-selling them too. So that's a, that's a relaunch of a product. But we have enough data to know it's going to do well. Right. Uh, so when when you make these changes or when you bring out a new product, like how do you know? And let's say the product as well. How do you know that it's the product that is making it sell better? That it's these like changes, and it's not maybe you know how the dispensaries are talking about it, how you know where they place it, other factors. You know, how do you know it's like the actual things that you're doing that are making that the the change in the bottom line on the you know on the on sales. Versus, there, yeah. There are absolutely other factors at play. In fact, the biggest one that you mentioned is is the bud tender. The bud tender is the conduit. 75% of people walk into a store they don't know what, not knowing what they want, and they right. just kind of go, and you know, they look at this big wall of edibles, for example, uh, and they just go, oh, I, don't, I don't know. It's, over, it's, it's sort of like there's a huge number of options. What does it look like in a typical one? Most people probably have not been. Yeah. yeah well, so, a typical store, you walk in, there's usually a, a waiting area, yeah. and then... You're taken to like the back area, which is where the products are. Right. They're all you can't touch any of them. They're all away from you. But the flower or bud is stored in is stored in either large jars or small individual ones. Most dispensaries have figured out a way to allow you to actually smell the bud, and they use that profiles, and they'll tell you exactly what it is and right. all that good stuff. So right. there's the whole raw, there's the whole plant section, and then wow. 
all the, the pieces that go with it, whether it's a grinder or a pipe or whatever. Right. Then there's a whole section of edibles. Us and, let's say, 10 to 15 other brands. Okay. come in all shapes and sizes and formats, and um, none of which can you pick up and hold and feel because they're all behind the counter by state regulation. Right. So to the point of the bud tender becoming the conduit, if that bud tender likes your product, he's going to say to that guy who doesn't know anything he's doing, right. hey, try this product. We think it's a great product. Uh-huh. So if we reach so, the budget, so, yeah. how do you tap into that then? Like, how do you get a sense of like what they're saying? Um, is it we by talk talking to them? with them? Well, our sales yeah. team is a direct sales team, so the direct uh-huh. sales team is talking with those bud tenders, getting orders from the managers. You know, really being able to be that one-to-one relationship for, for us as a company with that bud tender. But we're also doing things like having them come to our facility for a tour and a tasting yeah. uh, on site at their you know at their dispensary with different products. So. There's a number of ways we can engage with them to get them educated and aware of our products so that hopefully they'll recommend them more. Right. So in uh, in family therapy, there's this question that, that uh, people use called the miracle question. It's like if – the question goes like this. 19. Like if you could – that's exactly – that's the answer. I don't know how you, how you figured that out. No, that's incredible. It's a miracle. So the question's like this. It's like if things could be like perfect, you know, exactly how you wanted them to be, like – in terms of, you know, in family therapy, you say, like, in our family or, like, with my life or with your child or whatever. But in this case, like, if you could sort of have any data, any information, right, related to to your product, to this area, like, what would you, what would be helpful for you? And that elicits a huge yawn. That's interesting. Past my bedtime. I know it is past your bedtime. It's, um, pretty, it's pretty late. It is... Uh, 1030. 10.30 at night on a, on a school night. School night. So uh, I appreciate it, Joe. Yeah. Uh, but what, what, like, what would be, like, forget about how hard it is to get, if it's impossible to get. Like, what would, you know, what would you like to, to know? And, I mean. I'd love to know who's buying our products and why at a, at a deeper level and a wider data set. Because I, I, I sort of know who it is, and, and I have my theories as to why. But if it goes beyond the bud tender, to know, you know, whether all the PR we do, all the marketing we do, yeah. are people becoming aware and going in and asking for our products? And if so, why? Is it because of the things we say, like consistency, reliability, consumer confidence? Uh-huh. Or is it because, holy shit, sodas are the best way to get high. I love getting high with soda. Or, right, right, right. or the reason our Dixie One sold was because people like to mix it with vodka and make a couple of vodka Dixie drinks, you know? I, right. I don't right, know. Right. I don't know the answer to that. Right. You said, you said, like, people use it to get high. So people also use uh, marijuana to, to have, like, different experiences, too, right? right. Like some people talk about, like, the spiritual side of it as well, yeah, right? There's sort of, like, these different... There's creativity, sleep. but there's also... A lot of people use it for sleep right now, honestly. People use it for sleep, for sleep a- anxiety. So there's all sorts of things. And so understanding uh, your... All of those things would be helpful for you yeah. and to be able to know it, like, directly. Like, and we get, you know, interestingly, we so on our website we have a, a drop-down of six different questions you can ask of the company. Uh-huh. And when oh, I first so, set that up... Oh, you set that you set that up in order for people to ask questions? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, tell us about support that. Support question or, yeah. uh, you know, we get a lot of, like, hey, I love your company, I want to invest in your stock when you have it, uh-huh. to, hey, you know, I have a product idea I'd love to talk to you about. I mean, we get... There's a ton of, uh, I'll, I'll look for a couple right here, but on a daily basis, I get inundated with those. More so they so ask than, questions, or they are also providing you with important like information that you... In some cases, that, yeah. yeah. But it's, 
But it's can can you think of one off the top of your head that was like helpful for you, or uh, you, you can look it up. In the meantime, while you look it up, what is the the funniest? Here, I just got this one. Oh, you got to go. Okay, okay. No, this isn't so, a great one, but let's I was wondering if, if I can buy your products for me directly in bulk. Okay. The answer is no. Right. But you know those, those questions come through pretty regularly because. But it shows you that people, people want, want our product. Yeah. And geographically, I can tell where they're coming from. We get so we did uh, we had a big piece of aired in Italy. And I didn't know it had aired. Where, where was it? Italy? In, in Italy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know it had aired. But yeah. all of a sudden, I got like 15 uh, Italian messages through the website about how, how can I get your product? I would really like uh-huh. to try your product. Right. They actually type with an accent, yes, too. Yes, they type it's with incredible. an accent. It's yeah. incredible. Can, can I buy these products? I live in Sydney, Australia. Uh-huh. We just did an interview in Australia today. Right. right, this right. Mor- it was this morning in Australia, this evening for us. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I glean information from that, but so by by so by getting those questions and that expressed interest, then you know that there's there's some interest out there to in other uh, geographical well, speaking, locations yes. and so forth. So it's a data, it's a data source interest. for you. Yeah. It's not maybe so systematic and so, but but right. it's still important nonetheless. So, what are other um, data sources that that you tap into or you know on a on a regular basis or, or irregular basis, whatever that means. Uh, think of anything else off the top of your head, things that you sort of use to make your decisions in your work. Mainstream media, news. Uh-huh. Um, there's a couple of... So, MJ yeah. Business Daily is a, a business site for marijuana companies that, you know, they post a lot of good data. Uh, I'll use... Uh, the Cannabis Will Run, which uh-huh. is the subsection of the Denver Post focused on marijuana. They run good stories a lot that might uh-huh. give me an indication of something that's going on. Yeah. Um, so that's a data point is mainstream media. Discussion with dispensary owners about what they're seeing at their stores. Like, oh, we're seeing a real big pickup in edibles, blah, blah, blah. We have a lot of um, industry groups that we work with. Yeah. National Cannabis Industry Association, Cannabis Business Alliance, Marijuana yeah. Industry Group. There's meetings with those guys. Oftentimes, a lot of information and data is shared with those. Uh-huh. So those are. And are you directly involved with with those, or you have a, a people that work for you that are involved with it? In those, I'm those directly groups involved as well? with most of them. Yeah. yeah. So I think that like the elephant in the room, the thing that like a lot of people are going to be, you know, thinking when they they listen to this podcast is like, think why did other... James let Joe talk so long? Yeah, exactly. They'll be like, you know, like all right, so basically they. They're you know selling drugs, you know, like this is what they're you know what what they're doing, and uh, you mean there like might a pharmaceutical be pharmaceutical company that sells drugs. Yeah, exactly. So talk talk about that. Talk about what you you know like because you were saying before like you had to make your own decision about what you were going to do, and you made your decision, right. and um, and then so how do you see sort of marijuana and its place you know in you know in society and uh, its benefit. Or uh, its potential harm, you know. Like, what what is your, you know, what is your 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 sense of, of that? So, uh, there's a couple of things to say to that. One, I, I do believe that, and I believe that actually the federal government is looking at the, looking at it this way as well. There is an experiment going on to see what is the greater overall social good and impact because we know that marijuana is less addictive than alcohol and other drugs. We know that people are less likely to be engaged in violent crimes and behaviors with marijuana than, let's say, alcohol. And we know that uh, marijuana has less of a physical impact. You don't have cirrhosis of the liver. You don't have 
all the other physical issues that go along with alcoholism. Right. So the greater social impact of, of you know, people often people say, well, do we need another, you know, thing that you can be addicted to? Well, if that thing actually becomes a substitute for alcohol and it becomes a net positive mm-hmm. from a societal impact standpoint, then that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Likewise, and we talked about this earlier, the fact that uh, if we legalize marijuana, the incarcerations of, of thousands of primarily young men of color, that reverses course. So all of those thousands of, of young men of color who have been jailed and their lives have gotten off track because they've been in prison for marijuana possession. Uh, yeah. Okay. Suddenly that goes away, right? So, so what, that kid graduates from high school, gets yeah, a job, right? You know, has well, a what, what have we seen in Colorado since uh, since this legislation, or since like you know, I guess it's been a process because it's been. We steps, have seen right? year over year some great stats. It, we talked we talked about this earlier, right? Causal versus correlative. I don't know that we can say definitely it's cause, causal yet, but what we have seen is certainly the opposite of what people feared. So. Uh, we've seen a 4% increase in vi- or decrease rather year-over-year in violent crime, 2014 to 2013. We've seen a, a 9% decrease in property crime, so you know, right. things like that. We've seen uh, traffic fatalities at a almost historic low at a 2002 level, right? So right. that's gone down. We've also seen um, 2002. You mean in terms of just like not the rate, but the uh, total number the, the total of total number. Okay, and guys. while the population has grown in Colorado, correct? So. Okay, I see. Right. Um, and then um, we've also seen um, uh, a slight decrease in uh, teen marijuana use. So there are also studies. The flip side of that is there's yeah, studies so why that would talk that be? about. Yeah, that, how would that? Be? Well, there's a couple of theories there. Um, you know, there, there. So there are studies that talk about the fact that. Teens um, are less concerned about marijuana or don't perceive it as be to be as bad as they once did. Uh-huh. And certainly legalization has that effect. But when we regulate it, right, and we put laws in place that say if you're under the age of 21 and you get marijuana from someone who's over the age of 21, that person will go to prison, right? Um, and the more we begin to regulate, we dry up the black market. Okay, now I, if I want marijuana, I've either got to know someone who's 21 to get it for me or I gotta have some kind of fake ID system. Well, they did a, um, uh, a secret shopper thing, the state did, yeah. about two months ago, 100% compliance against all dispensaries. Right. That's impressive. You don't see that from a liquor store perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. they were 100% compliant. So the way this should work is that kids should actually have less access to it. Now, right. I think the flips, they're not the flip side, but in addition to that, socially, you know, I think there's an element of this, and we also talked about this earlier. Right. It's just it's losing its cool factor, right? If mom and dad, right. it's not forbidden fruit high, as much anymore. Yeah, it's not the, yeah, it's not right. the forbidden okay. fruit. So it's more accepted. It's less like a, see, like a lot of adolescents engage in behaviors that are just like risky, contrary, risky, whatever things that are forbidden. Okay, all right. So you see it as as a a potential positive, potential sort of positive thing, and some of the data supports that. Uh, as well, you know whether or not the data holds the the path that it's going directionally yeah. or or not. There are certain things I think are irrefutable about marijuana legalization right. that will provide an overall net positive impact for our country. And and I think that anyone who thinks that because we've legalized it, there's going to be stone zombies everywhere and no one will be working, and you know it, that's just reefer madness paranoia. I mean, it does. It's not true. We, we see that in Colorado. Colorado is right now more vibrant and more vital than it has ever been in its history. We are in the top five of every potential, like, best places to live, best, you know, greatest number of people moving here. You know, every single survey out there, we're in the top five. I'm not saying marijuana is the cause, 
but I'm saying it certainly hasn't it hasn't hurt our our, our perspective either. Right. So the biggest thing I forgot to mention, you just asked me this question. You said, or you asked me the question. You stated, you know, that there might be evaluators, people that want to, you know, better understand decision making processes, et cetera. One thing I always, and we get a lot of data in marketing outside of the marijuana industry. We don't have it in the marijuana industry. Yeah. We get a lot of data, right? Yeah. And you, you, we talked briefly about big data earlier. We just threw the name, the name out there, big data. Yeah. I think that 95% of people that want data or ask for data or try to glean data, they have no idea what to do with it, and, and there's too much of it. I mean, there really is too much of it. I saw it so much on the marketing side. We have clients who want, you know, they want like this crazy massive dashboard of data that's impossible to put together and we do it but they had no clue what they were looking at there would be like one data point oh it looks like our uh, x factor went up by five percent that's uh, that's very interesting they don't know what to do with the data i think people who are really skilled at data analysis can can do data analysis but there's so much data out there for free at the drop of a hat right that is inundation right honestly we don't know what to do with it right it's like an, like an analogous to like the world wide web and just the availability at your fingertips of tons of information but like how do you digest it right and we've seen that with big data too like yeah. there's tons of different data sources feeds you know that are that are available unless and i can afford to it? pay somebody to really sit down and analyze it and come back to me with like three big chunks out of it and say these are the things you need to know and this is what's going to drive our decision right. because i think you know from big data you can glean information but yeah the average person you have to have the right questions as well yeah right, you know. So uh, maybe we'll have some evaluators that will be contacting you and uh, sure. seeing if uh, they can uh, help you out with, uh, for, for with your free? data. You oh, say? yeah, for free, of course. Okay, yeah, awesome. why, why, That's great. Or maybe uh, in-kind exchange. I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so. Okay. Excellent. I want to mention that. And I appreciate the time you spent talking to me about oh, way this. Way past my bedtime. I know. It is It is way past your bedtime. I'm looking to see if there's uh, if there's any other I'm questions. Kinda, I'm kind of tired of talking of you. Talking I, I know. I, I, and, that, and if that's I'm the done. case, that's incredible. Like, that I'm must done. be really uh, a beat down if that's the case. All right. So, Joe, how can people find out about you uh, online? Like, how can they, uh, if they're interested in maybe uh, finding out more about you or more about uh, about your, uh, you know, they have questions for you about your, you know, career path. You know, there's plenty of people who are probably going to be listening. Um, you know, there's the whole data piece, but other people will be listening probably who are maybe interested in PR, marketing, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Maybe they have questions for you. Uh, you I'm not sure you want to give out your email address, but maybe... Uh, I'll give yeah. out my email, I'll give out my Twitter. So... So first, Dixie Elixirs is DixieElixirs.com. That's E-L-I-X-I-R-S.com. And they can connect with all of our social channels via the website. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Joe Hodis. My Facebook is backslash Joe Hodis. My LinkedIn is uh, backslash Joe Hodis. Uh, I have a blog that I started that I'm woefully behind on. I think I did four entries. Yes, join the club it. on the uh, behind the blog. Club. Yeah. Behind well, on the blog. I'm club. way behind on the blog. Yes. But that's um, uh, the future of cannabis.blogspot.com. Okay. Um, that just talks a little. I have a, an entry about my decision making process. I have an entry about how my kids dealt with it. Um, I got into a big fight with a national journalist about marijuana legalization, and we posted our whole discussion um, on my blog and on his site. So just some stuff like that. Great. Well, that's really helpful. And we'll, uh, we'll provide that also with this on the. Oh, and uh, email is jhodis at dixielixers.com. Great. Great. Joe Hodis. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. And yeah, I'm going to bed now. We'll, 
Good night. He's going to go to bed right here in the bar. All right, very good.